want to say welcome to those of you who are in the room with us, as well as to those of you who may be joining us uh, online if we haven't met yet. Uh, my name is Chris, one of the pastors here. And I don't know what Jonathan was whining about. I like it when it's cool in here, right? I get up here, I get hot and sweaty. And so it was feeling good at the nine o'clock uh, for me. But good to see you guys. And uh, let's, uh, before we dive into the word, let, let's pause and go to the Lord and ask for, for his help. Uh, Father, we uh, come to you and undoubtedly, uh, for some of us, this past week was a great week. Uh, for others of us, uh, it was a tough week. There were challenging things. There were sad things. There were things that produced uh, anxiety in our hearts. And so, Father, we come to you now as your people, as your sons, as your daughters, and we ask you to speak to us. Where our eyes are blind, would you help us see? Where our ears are deaf, would you help us hear? Where our hearts have been hardened, God, would you, would you soften our hearts so that uh, your word could land in a fertile place? in our hearts this morning. And so by your spirit, would you speak to us now through your word? We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I want you to think, kind of as we get started, I want you to think about uh, one thing that you're really good at. So just kind of in your mind right now, just kind of lock in that one thing that you're just probably better at than most other people that you know, right? So maybe you're great at math. Maybe you're like a world-class chef. Maybe you can do a whole bunch of push-ups. Uh, maybe you can play a musical instrument really well, but whatever that one thing is that you can probably do better than most everybody else uh, that you know, I want you to just think about that one thing and lock it into your brain. Now, I want you to imagine a scenario where you're doing that one thing that you're awesome at, and somebody comes up to you and taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, let me give you some pointers. Let, let, me, let me give you some tips on how to get better at that. Now, now let me ask you a question. When, in, that, in that scenario, if that were to happen, What's your response? Is your response one of gratefulness? Like, man, I can't believe that dude took the time. Thank you. Listen, come here. Thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your day to help me get better at what I'm already awesome at. I really appreciate you, brother. Or is your initial response when someone sort of corrects you to get defensive, even if you're really good at it? Like, bro, I'm going to give you some tips on this. Rookie, what do you, you, you can't tell me what to do. Um, I'll give you one kind of silly example from my own uh, personal life. I, this may sound funny. I fancy myself a, a pretty good driver, okay? You know, I mean, I, I don't like to brag, but I think I'm pretty good, except in the snow, all right? So don't ask Dave Winberg anything, because he'll tell you all kinds of lies about me driving in the snow. Don't believe anything he says. But if it's not in the snow, I, I'm pretty good. Uh, in fact, I watched recently uh, a documentary on Netflix about Formula One drivers, and I think I may have actually missed my, my call in life. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good. But every now and then, my, my lovely wife, who's um, out of state this weekend, so uh, this will just stay, I'm sure, between us, right? My, my lovely wife, every once in a while when we're driving somewhere, um, will, will give me a, a driving tip. Me. She'll give me, me a driving tip. And uh, I'd like to say my, my normal response is, you know what, baby? Thank you. Thank you for, for loving me as your husband enough to want to make me a better driver. What other tips in your vast reservoir of wisdom might you have for me in life? Right? I, I wish that I responded graciously every time. Honestly, half the time it's like, listen, babe, 
you know, I'll give you some tips when we get home about how, how to drive. I, I got this, this is, one, this is in my wheelhouse. I know, I know what I'm doing here. So how, how, my question for you is, how do you respond when someone corrects you or challenges you in an area that you feel like you're already strong? Because the reality is how we respond to exhortation in areas where we're already strong is probably a great indicator of our maturity or our immaturity in that particular area. And that's exactly what we're going to see in our text uh, today. So if you're new, go ahead and open your Bibles, your apps, even if you're old, open your Bibles, your apps. We're, we're going to be in the same place. First Thessalonians. That's a New Testament book. We're just kind of systematically working through this book. Last week, we saw the Apostle Paul uh, tell us that our primary purpose in life as followers of Jesus is to please God. Like that's our number one, that's the reason that we're alive. That's why we have air in our lungs. We have blood pumping through our veins right now on planet earth is to, is to bring glory, to please God. Not to please ourselves, which of course is our, the natural instinct for all of us is to live to please ourselves. It's not even uh, to live our life to please other people, right? You, we, I think a lot of us struggle with that, being people pleasers. And Paul would say no to both of those. Don't, don't live for yourself. Don't live to please others. The primary purpose of your life is to, uh, to live to please God. And the way we live this out, the Apostle Paul said last week, is through the process of sanctification, right? Big biblical word just means becoming more like Jesus, right? And so the way that we please God, Paul says, is through the process of sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus. And we saw last week, step one in that sanctification process is pursuing purity in our sexual lives, right? So we, we as Christians, we see sex not as the world does, we don't see it simply as a biological impulse like eating or drinking or sleeping, but we see it as a good gift from a good God for the purpose of mingling together two souls in a covenant marriage. And so as believers, we have a high view of sex. We have a high view of marriage because we believe God has a high view of sex and a high view of marriage. And today, Paul is going to continue along that same line of thinking on sanctification. And he's going to move from pursuing purity in our sexual lives to loving each other well within the family of God. Now, this is a big theme that the Apostle Paul just kind of drips throughout this letter. Quite frankly, it's a big theme that just pops off the pages all throughout the New Testament. And so we're going to kind of dig in. We'll be verses 9 through 12 this morning. We're going to make a few observations and a couple applications uh, along the way, and then we'll be done. All right, so that's the game plan for this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. Paul writes this to these brand new believers in a big city called Thessalonica. He says, now concerning brotherly love, now that's a Greek word phileo, right? It's where we get the, the word Philadelphia, right? The city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Now concerning brotherly love, phileo, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And so when Paul says brotherly love there, the idea is familial love, like family love. We love each other like family, not like family. We are family. We say that oftentimes here. Now, if you're here and you come from an unhealthy biological family, like you you're, you know, had, a, had a bad dad growing up, bad moms, bad relationship with your siblings, and I know that's the case for many of you, I think Paul would want you to envision a healthy family here. 
So just kind of picture in your mind like a, a healthy, loving dad, a loving mom, siblings who maybe at times get on each other's nerves a little bit, but at the end of the day, love each other ferociously. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, guys, we, we, we are our family. And so let's begin to, to live and love each other like we're family. I, weigh, I really appreciate the way uh, Michael Spiegel, a theology professor, put it. This will be on the screens for you. He writes this, the church is a family, not like a family, but a real spiritual family of brothers and sisters who love each other and have real obligations to one another. Now, now, Jesus, in fact, modeled this for us well. Uh, in, in Matthew chapter 12, there's a scene where Jesus is teaching this large crowd. As his mom shows up to the scene, his brothers are there. And so one of his disciples comes and kind of taps him on the shoulder while he's teaching and says, Hey, uh, your mom's here, Jesus. Your brothers are here. I think they want to talk to you. And, and he responds by saying, who, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he turns and he points at his disciples and he says, Here are my mother. Here are my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father is my mother and my sisters and my brothers. And in a sense, I think what Jesus is saying is, listen, your spiritual family is more important, is more family to you sometimes than your birth family, your biological family. Like there should be more authentic love here than anywhere else in your life. That's how, that's how important the family of God is. And Paul says to these young Thessalonians, he's like, man, you guys are crushing this. You guys are doing so well that your love is actually famous throughout the entire region of Macedonia. Like your love is becoming legendary for one another. And I just think like to make that kind of a modern translation for us, just think about like, I don't know, maybe you vacation in Myrtle Beach or you go down to Florida or you go over to Tennessee or something like that and you go visit another church on a Sunday and you're kind of walking around the hallways and there's just like a buzz and people are talking about, man, did y'all hear about that church in Asheville? New Hope something or New Spring. I don't even remember the name of the church, but did y'all hear about how they love each other in practical ways, radical ways? And then people kind of respond like, yeah, man, that's crazy to hear how they love each other. Man, we probably should become more like, that's exactly what's happening in the church in Thessalonica. And Paul goes, listen, you guys are doing so awesome at this that I, I actually don't even need to write you about this. You're so good at it. But even still, I want to urge you, I want to urge you to do this more and more. Now, here, here's what Paul is saying to these guys and these gals 2,000 years ago, what I think he's saying to us through his word, by his spirit, today in 2022 in Asheville, North Carolina. This is the big idea on the screens for you. Believers, we have to learn how to excel in love. We have to learn how to not just be okay at loving one another. We have to excel in love. And what Paul is saying to these young believers is, hey, you guys are doing a great job. Now I want you to ramp it up. I don't, I don't want you to plateau here. I don't want you to put this on cruise control. I want you to keep pushing, keep striving, keep pressing in, keep finding creative ways to really love each other practically. And again, I would just, as I have throughout this series, echo that to you, church family. I want to say the same thing. You guys are doing this well. I see how you love for one, the love that you have for one another. I see how you care for each other in practical ways. Oftentimes, I'm, I'm really inspired by it. There's so many needs here that get met behind the scenes because you guys love each other well. But like the Apostle Paul, I would say to you, this is not the time to pat ourselves on the backs. This, this is not a time for us to get complacent in this area. 
Let's keep pressing in. Let's keep pushing. Let's keep striving, right? Let, let's let our love in this place become legendary in the city and beyond. Not so that people will look at us and say, look how awesome they are, but so that people will look at our Savior and say, look how awesome he is. One commentary writer that I read this week, I'll put this on the screens for you, he wrote this. He said, have you noticed that animals do instinctively what is necessary to keep them alive and safe? Fish do not attend classes to learn how to swim, though they swim in schools. (laughs) And birds, by nature, put out their wings and flap them in order to fly. Now, I love this. It is nature that determines action. It is nature that determines action. Because a fish has a fish's nature, it swims. Because a hawk has a hawk's nature, it flies. And because a Christian has God's nature, he loves because God is love. That is exactly what Paul is saying. Christian, learn how to excel at love. Loving God, yes, but also loving one another in the family of Christ. Because this is your new nature in Christ. As a fish swims, as a hawk flies, the Christian loves. And then Paul is going to give us three practical ways to love one another well. All right, three practical ways to love each other well, well, you write these down if you're a note taker. They'll be on the screens for you. Number one, he's going to tell us to pipe down. Number two, he's going to say, mind your own business. And number three, he's going to say, get a job. All right? Now, if that sounds like your old grandpa, you know, used to scream at you to get off his lawn, that's not what Paul's doing here, right? He's not being the, gr- the grumpy old boots grandpa. There's real meat to what he's saying here. So let's take this one at a time. We'll break it down. Pipe down. Look at verse 11. This is how we excel at love. Verse 11 says, and to aspire to live quietly. Now, what does that mean? Because you read that and you're like, Paul, what are you saying, man? Like, I, I should just be a wallflower? Shouldn't engage in, in society or in community? I should just kind of be quiet and never speak up? That's not what Paul is saying. In fact, if you look in the original language, here, here's the idea. It means to strive to live a life of stillness, peace, and rest. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? A life of stillness, peace, and rest. What Paul is saying is, man, there there should just be kind of this quiet confidence in the Lord that marks every believer. In other words, we're not thrown into a tizzy every time we hear about a new war. We're not thrown into cycles of anxiety every time we hear about a new global virus or pandemic or whatever it is. It also means we're not out there looking for fights or to start arguments in society, certainly not on social media. It means we're not demanding of each other. We're not provoking one another. We're not living in a state of agitation all the time. We are just marked by this inner tranquility. And again, Paul is not calling us to be wallflowers in society. I don't think that's what he's saying here. He's simply saying, listen, don't don't live a life that's restless, that's marked by agitation, looking for trouble, looking for arguments. No, pipe it down. Aspire to live a confident, peaceful, restful life, knowing that your king is on the throne. Don't be unsettled easily. Don't be agitated quickly. Strive for this quiet, peaceful, restful life in the Lord. And so number one, he says, the way you excel in love is to to pipe down. Have that quiet confidence in the Lord that just 
marks your life, regardless of the circumstances that may be swirling around you. And here's the second way we excel at love. He says, mind your own business. Look at verse 11. And to aspire to live quietly, that's number one. Here's number two. And to mind your own affairs. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met someone that was just always all up in everybody else's business? Don't look at your spouse right now, all right? That's not going to go well for you. Have you ever met somebody just all up in everybody's business, right? Just a kind of a drama magnet, always looking to start the next gossip circle. Man, I bet you got somebody's face in your brain right now, don't you? Sinner, right? We all, we've all known people like that. Now, let me ask you, are those the kind of people that you want to be around or imitate in life? No. No. Why? Because those people are toxic, they're toxic for your mental health. They're toxic for your spiritual well-being. I mean, how many of you know that it's impossible to excel at loving someone while you're simultaneously dragging them through the mud behind their backs? It's impossible, right? Hey, did you hear about Tom and Sue? You didn't hear it from me, but marriage is on the rocks. I keep it on the DL, but her Jenny's been hitting the bottle pretty hard. I think she might be a lush. And my favorite to hear, especially in church, is pray for them. Just pray for them. You know, that, that's how Christian gossips do it, you know? <laughs> hey, I'm only telling you so you can lift this up before the throne of the Lord. So I was like, man, get out of here with that junk, man. That's, that's like a double sin. <laughs> like You're gossiping and then you're blaming it on God. That's rubbish. Cut it out. Paul is saying, mind your own business. In the church body, focus on loving Jesus and excelling at loving others. If you do that well, brother, sister, you're not going to have time to have your nose in anybody else's business. I love this Proverbs uh, 26, 17 on the screens for you. It says this, whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Now, I love that. Maybe we ought to just memorize that, right? Just quote it. Every time we're tempted to say something bad about somebody or stick our nose where it doesn't belong. Whoever meddles in the quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Now, if that doesn't make sense to you, it's probably because in ancient times, dogs were viewed and they acted a lot different than they do in modern times, right? So 2,000 years ago, uh, when we talked about dogs, it's not like your modern-day pet chihuahua, right, or your designer golden doodle. These are, these are like wild packs of dogs. They would literally roam the streets. They would attack people, oftentimes kill people. Even today, you can travel to places in the Middle East, Africa, South America. I've been to some of these places. You land on the ground. The missionaries there, first thing they'll tell you is like, hey, don't go running on the streets. Don't go walking on the streets by yourself. Why? Because the dogs. Stay, like, stay away from the dogs. And the Proverbs writer is saying, listen, when you meddle in somebody else's business, you're like the moron that grabs the ear of one of those street dogs. How do you think that's going to go for you, ultimately? That's not going to go well. It's going to rip your hand off. Don't, so don't do it. That's Paul's point here. Now, one caveat to all of this. Paul is not saying, this is important. I want you to hear me say this. Paul is not saying here that there's never a time to challenge each other in love within the body of Christ. That's not what he's saying. Matthew 18 is clear. Other places are clear that part of loving one another at times means that lovingly and gently correcting one another when we're walking in sin, right? And I've, said, I've used this example before. Listen, if you see me out on a date with a woman who is not my wife, if you love me, I better be getting a phone call from you. I better be getting an invitation to coffee. 
Right? If I see you out and you're robbing a, a liquor store or defrauding an elderly person or something like that, if I love you, I'm going to intervene in your life. I'm going to say, brother, I'm going to plead with you. Sister, turn back from this evil. God's ways are going to lead you to life, but the path that you're on is going to lead you to destruction and death. So Paul's not saying there's never a time and a place for us to gently and lovingly correct one another. He's simply saying, listen, guys, let's be so busy excelling at love for one another that we got no time to meddle. No time to meddle, no time to gossip, no, no time to stir up trouble in the life of the church family because that doesn't bring honor to the name of the Lord Jesus. One more way, Paul says that we can make sure that we're excelling in love. Number three, get a job. Look at verse 11 again. He says, to aspire to live quietly, that's number one. To mind your own affairs, that's the second way we excel in love. And the last one, number three, he says, and to work with your own hands as we instructed you. Now that seems odd, sort of, almost out of place. Here's what many biblical scholars think was going on. Paul's going to address this in more detail, actually in 2 Thessalonians, his second letter to this church. But it would seem that since these believers were, and again, rightly so focused on the second coming of Jesus Christ, that some of them took that to a level that was unhealthy. And so some of them took that to mean, hey, since Jesus, man, he could come back tonight. He could come back next week. He could come back next month. Like it could happen any day. Since he's coming back so soon, I'm actually going to quit my job. And so some of them actually quit their jobs. And so they were sitting at home watching the office on reruns, right, until Jesus came to take them home. And so there was this group within the church that had apparently become freeloaders, right? They they were just kind of leeching off the generosity of the rest of the church family, which, as you could imagine, could create some friction and some conflict within the church family. Like, man, why, why am I busting my tail to feed my wife and kids and his wife and kids while he sits at home and watches Netflix? And Paul is saying, that's not how you excel at love, brothers and sisters. By placing the burden of what you're responsible for and you're capable of on other people. That's not loving. That's selfish. Moreover, that's foolish. Jesus was clear about this, actually, in the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, that his expectation of his people is that we work hard while we wait on his return. Right? We, we work while we wait. That is the pattern our Savior left us. We stay busy in kingdom work and practical work to provide for ourselves and even more than we need so that we can live generously towards others that can't work. The widows, the orphans, refugees that are fleeing war-torn areas. The follower of Jesus should not ever be marked by laziness or entitlement. I love the way uh, Mark Howell commentary writer put this on the screens for you as well he writes this the promise of christ's return does not give us reason to be lazy it gives us a reason to get busy i love that and there's nothing about our lives as followers of jesus that's insignificant from the words that come out of our mouths when nobody is around to hear what we're saying or if we're talking about them behind their backs to how we work it all tells the world what we believe about god And so Paul is saying, believer, work hard. This is a practical way that we can excel in loving one another. Finally, Paul is going to give us the why behind this, right? The command, the exhortation is excel at love. He's given us the three practical ways that we can excel at love. He's going to give us the why. Those of you who have little kids at home, or you remember when you had little kids at home, about two years old, two and a half, three years old, they start the why train, right? 
Hey, eat your green beans, buddy. Why? Because they're good for you. But yeah, but why? Because they have nutrients that are going to help your bones and muscles. Yeah, but why? Just eat your green beans, right? So, but, but, but even little kids, they have this desire to know the why behind, behind what they're being asked to obey. And it's good for us as adults as well. And so Paul's going to give us that. He's going to give us the, the why. Look at verse 12. He says, so that, so all, all that I've just told you, excel in love in these three ways, so that you may walk properly, here it is, before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This idea of walking properly before outsiders, those who are not a part of the family of faith, those who have not given their lives to Jesus Christ, what he's saying is the reason, the why behind, we must excel at love towards one another in the body is because this is how we display a winsome picture of Jesus to the world around us. So church family, let me just ask you, man, if, if the watching world looks in on the family of God, the followers of Jesus, and what they see is a people who bicker, if what they see is gossip and meddling and being lazy, what does that tell them about the God that we serve? Would they want to know this God? Would they be intrigued to investigate and learn more if these are the things that mark our lives? Well, of course not. Paul is saying this is important. This is, our, this is our witness. This is our apologetic to the world around us. A pastor named uh, Ron Hutchcraft tells a story of, of meeting a lady in his church. And so after he introduced himself and they kind of greeted one another, they just got a conversation and he asked her what she did. He goes, hey, what, do you, what do you do for a living? And I love her reply. She said, Pastor, I am a disciple of Jesus disguised as a machine operator. I love that. I love that attitude, right? She, she really understood that real faith touches, bleeds into every area of our lives. It's not confined to an hour on Sunday morning or just when you're having your quiet times early in the morning. It bleeds into everything that we do throughout the day, throughout the week. See, as Christians, we understand that maybe heaven is our ultimate home, but planet Earth is our mission field. This is our mission field. If you live in Asheville, you live in the 828, this, God has placed you here for a purpose, for a strategic reason. You're in the apartment complex that you're in. You're in the neighborhood that you're in for a purpose and a reason. You go to the school or college campus that you're on for a reason, for a kingdom reason. You work in the place that you work. You hang out the places that you hang out. You go to the same coffee shop for a reason. We understand this is our mission field. There's a purpose behind why we're here and why we do what we do. Listen, church family, God has called us. I think this is what Paul is saying here. God has called us to be difference makers in this world. How? By living a quiet life. By having a quiet, peaceful, restful confidence. By being too busy in kingdom work and loving each other to meddle in each other's business, to gossip. By working hard with our hands. Man, man, we should have a reputation as the best employees in the city. I've said this before, man. New businesses ought to land in Asheville and be like, where's the churches at? Where are the Christians at? Because we know they're going to be the hardest workers. They're going to be the most honest workers. We've got to find some Christians up in here. This is how we show Christ to the world. And so let me, let me close with this. Let me just invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes with me as the band. Go ahead, heads up this way. We're about to wrap up. We'll pray and we'll sing.
let me just say, church family, what, what would happen if a community of faith, if a church family really began to live out this, this ethic of love in the world around them? What would happen if, if every single person really began to strive to excel at loving one another in these three key ways? Just living this quiet, confident life, not, not looking to cause trouble, not aggressive. We loved each other by, by working hard, by not meddling in each other's business, by not gossiping. But I think it would be quite a thing for the world to behold, wouldn't it? And so let's pray that the Spirit would make it so. In our lives this week, in the life of our church family, as we learn to excel more and more in love for the glory of King Jesus. Let's pray and then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, we come to you. And we're grateful that you don't let us coast in life. We're grateful that you're a God that loves us enough that you challenge us in areas that we maybe struggle in more. And you also challenge us to excel in areas where we're already doing a decent job. God, help us not to get complacent in our love for you. Help us not to get complacent in excelling at love for one another within the body, for this is the picture that we paint to the world around us of who you are, what your kingdom is like. God, and so would you help us to love each other well? Would you help us, Father, to love each other so well that outsiders would look into our church family, look into our lives and say, man, there's, there's just something different about those people. I don't know that I believe all that they believe. They believe some really strange things, but man, I, I can't deny their lives are beautiful. The way they love each other, the, lo the way that they care for one another, it's almost like a loving family. It's incredible. So God, would you give us that story? Would you help that be our testimony? Increasingly, every day, week by week, month by month, help us become more like you as we honor you. We pray it all in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Church family, let's stand and let's worship together.